Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. This is your host, Marie Strotter, reminding you to go to ACONS dot substack dot com. That's where you'll find all of our commentary, our blogs, and uh, where you can subscribe to this podcast right here. Today, we're going to be talking to Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly is the successful and influential journalist who led the O'Reilly Factor to 16 years of ratings dominance for Fox News. He currently hosts the O'Reilly Update, which is heard weekdays on more than 225 radio stations. His website is BillOReilly.com, and he has a weekday broadcast which airs at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. named The No Spin News, which can be found on the First TV Media Network. He has written 18 number one nonfiction books, including the Historical Killing series, the best-selling nonfiction series of all time, with 19 million books in print. His latest book is entitled Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. Please join me in welcoming back to the show, Bill O'Reilly. Thank you for coming back to the show. Listen, Marie, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this all day. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yep. I know. You know why? Because I know you read the books. I know you research. I know you do uh, the due diligence. So it's a good conversation. Thanks so much. One of the ways in which we see the witch trials as being relevant today is as a metaphor for the deluge of unsubstantiated or even false uh, false sexual abuse accusations that have recently been used to harm figures as disparate as Donald Trump, Russell Brand, baseball player Trevor Bauer, and former Yale student Safula Khan. You touched upon this trend, writing, quote, literally no one is safe from the new witch hunt, end quote. Could you say more about our vulnerability vulnerability to these sorts of charges? Sure. Um, this is the 13th killing book, Killing the Witches. I could have written about anything. Um, but what happened in 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, is back under the banner of cancel culture. So about 10 years ago, the progressive left came up with a uh, strategy to lodge accusations against people they didn't like to try to ruin their careers. So we don't hang people, Marie, anymore, but we ruin their lives. And we have examples in the back of Killing the Witches. The first part of the book is about what happened in Salem of regular folks, okay, who for one reason or another were accused of heinous things, press picked it up, and then it turns out that they were innocent. Now, you always have to be careful about this stuff, because when you hear an accusation, you don't know. Unless you were there, you don't know. But in our country, one of the founding blocks of our justice system, you are innocent until proven guilty. In Salem, none of these people who were hanged, 20, were murdered by the authorities there had any evidence against him at all. And now, as you know, just an accusation, if it gets into the media, social media or corporate, 
people's lives are ruined. Some of them are proven guilty. Okay. But the others, you cannot bring them down. And that's what's happening. So that's what I wanted to bring to the attention of everybody in the United States. That is absolutely right and absolutely chilling. You described how towns like Salem became what you call hotbeds of rabid religiosity. You add, quote, there is no dissent. The townspeople do what they are told. Ironically, superstition, which is, which is the opposite of faith, is deeply ingrained in the population. The Puritan leadership has absolute power. And as the adage goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely, end quote. These societies sound much like nations ruled by the Taliban or Hamas. One finds today where people can be imprisoned or put to death for the smallest of infractions are the things like the witch trials, the inevitable outcome in authoritarian societies? It depends. Um, when the first settlers came over to America, and I put you on the Mayflower, Marie, and believe me, you would not have wanted to have been on that boat. 66 days, it was awful. And they finally get here, the Puritans get here. And it's a theocracy. It's run by the ministers. And they want to consolidate their power by instilling fear into their congregation by telling them there are witches and devils are going to hell. If they do anything, they're punished. It was really a very tough existence. Same thing in Afghanistan under the Taliban, in Iran under the mullahs. You do what you're told because we are the messengers from God and what we say goes. Once you're into that authoritarian environment, you have no rights. Now, there were good people in Salem, and they knew that killing 70-year-old women because some nine-year-old girl said that the woman came to her in the night and made her sign the devil's book was insane. There were people who knew that. But if they stood up against the clerics, the next day they were accused of being a witch. They were in jail. And that's what a theocracy is. And so the Salem witch trials were so horrendous that Benjamin Franklin, a young boy in Boston, followed this and he brought to the Constitution, we can't have religion in our Constitution, which is why to this day, the federal government, state governments in the USA cannot impose any religion about anyone. And that came from the Salem witch trials. Wow. Now, who was Cotton Mather and what impact did he have on the witch trials? What caused the Salem witch hunt to reach critical mass in 1692? Okay. So Cotton Mather was a chief witch hunt, the son of Increase Mather, the first president of my alma mater, Harvard. And I never let him forget it. And Increase Mather was a preacher, so was Cotton Mather. And they both were invested in hanging witches because it made them more powerful. So Cotton Mather lived in Boston. Young Ben Franklin was a genius teenager, visited him at his home. And they had a long discussion. And we chronicle that discussion because Benjamin Franklin took notes about it. And that, as I said, led to the Constitution having no religion into it. But Cotton Mather was a nasty SOB. All right. He had no compunction.
to kill people. And they had to know this was all bogus. Come on, it wasn't a shred of evidence that these people were witches or anything else. And But they did it for their power. That's why they did it. You wrote that the witch trials affected how the Puritans practiced their faith as they had been, quote, changed by the shocking brutality of the witch hangings, end quote. Did the trials affect their judicial system as well? No. No, it's an excellent question, by the way. The only reason the, the witch trial stopped was because the loons in Salem accused the governor's wife, Mary Phipps, of being a witch. So the governor, William Fitch, was in Maine fighting the Indians at the time. He comes back to Boston and his wife's under arrest. And he goes, what? So he uses the militia to stop it all. But there weren't any reforms made in the judicial system in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Nobody did it because people were still afraid. Okay, it wasn't until 100 years later when we had some semblance of justice, we had thrown off Great Britain, that we started to formulate, you are innocent until proven guilty. Before that, it was like, wherever you were, depending on who was running the show, you could get hosed big time. Why do you think so many women were accused of being agents of Satan why did we not see more men accused of being wizards and warlocks, do you think? There were a couple of men who were executed. Um, there were two dogs executed for being witches. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> two dogs. That's how crazy these people were. <laughs> the witch tradition, which was brought to Salem by a slave named Tatuba from Barbados, who was hired, but impressed, whatever word you want to use, by a minister to mind the children of the minister. She passed along all these stories of witchcraft and demons and voodoo and all of this to these young girls. That's where they got it in their minds. And witches were primarily defined as female. Mm -hmm. Near the end of Killing the Witches, you point out that Salem is thriving with over a million tourists from all over the globe visiting each year. Why have the Salem witch trials continued to fascinate so many for so long? It's the occult. So we wanted to talk to the mayor of Salem saying, look, you, you make tens of millions of dollars, your town, off. Which city, if you, if you drive Marie to Salem, 25 miles north of Boston, it's a big sign, welcome to Salem, which city? And they have a pedestrian mall lined up with shops where it's so-called. So we want to know, hey, you feel a little bad about this? Because 500 yards away, executed falsely for being witches. What is it, you know, that make you uneasy? They wouldn't talk to me. They, they didn't want any part of that discussion. So to now, around Halloween time, Salem is flooded because people are fascinated by the occult. And that's why at the end of Killing Witches, at the end of the book, I bring in The Exorcist, which is the modern day occult of the devil. 
See, being a witch, you are in concert with the devil. You are doing the devil's work. And so you got to be killed. Now, there's still people who believe in a Roman Catholic church is at the forefront that demon possession happens. And you can read the New Testaments and see, you know, that that is was 2000 years old. And there's one case that we write about it that's just very disturbing, very disturbing. And we had all the diaries of everybody involved, psychiatrists and doctors and 13 year old boy in Maryland went through this. And that's how we kind of end up the book by saying, look, this occult, this witch stuff, this demon stuff, devil stuff is still around. Wow. If you're just joining us, our guest for this segment has been the iconic Bill O'Reilly. His latest book is Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. Bill, how can our listeners continue to follow your work and find you online? Well, we have the most successful independent news agency in the world now, Marie. So it's very easy to go to BillOReilly.com. All right. And you'll see everything that we have. We do a television program from Monday to Thursday. We do radio every day. Um, we have 13 killing books and we have memberships, but you don't have to be a member. You can access us in many, many different ways. And I appreciate you mentioning the book. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, and I want to wish you continued success. Thanks so much for being our guest today. And this is the part of our show where we bring in DK. DK, come on in. Hey. I'm in. Hey. Hi. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I love when Bill O'Reilly is our guest. Man, that guy knows so much. I mean, he really does the research. And he knows so much. And he can make the connections, you know, to modern day things. So I, I just really appreciate the fact that he's been on our show and that he's been a good friend of the show. Yeah, this is his new book. Uh, took us from the Mayflower to the real life story behind the Exorcist, and he he writes in great detail. He writes in a way that uh, easy to read. It's very illustrative. You know, it's not dry academic writing. It's very visual. You get involved in it like it's a work of fiction. So I can see why his books sell so so much. You know. Yeah. So what did you want to talk to me about today? Oh, I just wanted to comment again about the current situation in uh, the Middle East with uh, the aftermath of the Hamas attack on Israel. It is a bit shocking, I think, how so many progressives in American academia, American media, uh, um, just American life, you know, American politics. There's even some in Congress who... Um, continue to portray themselves as Hamas sympathizers, even while there are still, I think, a dozen or so Americans held hostage by Hamas, you know, and it's even happened in New York. You would think people in New York, of all people, would understand the consequences of a Islamic terrorist attack. You know, this, there was a, a pro-Hamas rally a few days ago that's not too far from where the World Trade Center fell. So it's just a few subway stops away. So it's, it's, it's really remarkable. And and what they're doing is they're spreading all this propaganda about Hamas and Israel. They're describing Israel as this horrific occupying power in Gaza, even though um, 
Israel has not been in Gaza since I think 2005. They're talking about the oppression of the Palestinian people. And what they don't mention is that the oppression is coming from Hamas, not Israel. Um, because if it was up to Israel, there would be a two-state solution. Hamas would be a thriving independent, I mean, not Hamas, sorry, Palestine would be a thriving independent state alongside Israel. And I just want to show you some of the concessions Israel made in 2008 following the, the peace talks at that time. This is what Palestine refused. They refused an agreement that would have given them, for the first time in history, a true Palestinian state that would have uh, would have included 94% of the West Bank as well as Gaza. There would have been a safe passage tunnel between the West Bank and, and Gaza so that Palestine would have a contiguous state. You know, it's not a state that's divided. Um, you know, the Palestinians were able to go from the West Bank and Gaza without leaving the country. Um, the Arab neighborhoods in Jerusalem would be under Palestinian sovereignty, which means, of course, that Jerusalem would be the capital of the Palestinian and the Israeli state, as opposed to what we have now, where um, Jerusalem is now firmly identified as the capital of, this, of Israel. And... Of course, they turned down hundreds of millions, perhaps a billion dollars in aid that they would have gotten from the U.S. and the EU to assist the new state of Palestine. So it doesn't sound too oppressive to me. It sounds yeah. as though that when you have a, a territory led by a terrorist group who have in the Constitution the elimination of Israel, then it's hard to see what kind of peace talks there can be. And I want to mention something else because, like I said, all of these progressives in, you know, in government and academia and, and, and so forth, they're, they, they were singing the case that if not for the existence of Israel, there would be no need for Hamas. But that's not what we're seeing globally. We're seeing Islamic terrorism commit the kind of butchery we saw in October 7th on a very frequent basis. And one of the examples I want to use is what's something I mentioned before, the kind of Islamic terrorism massacres we've seen in Africa. And I'm just going to show you two quick stories here. Um, this is what happened in 2015 in Nigeria. Boko Haram deadliest massacre, 2,000 fear dead in Nigeria. Amnesty International yeah. calls the killing a disturbing and bloody escalation and a local defense group says its fighters have given up trying to count the bodies. Mm -hmm. I'll read a, a little bit of it. <clears throat> Hundreds of bodies, too many to count, remain thrown in the bush in Nigeria from an Islamic extremist attack that Amnesty International described as the deadliest massacre in the history of Boko Haram. And I'll go mm -hmm. down. District said Baba Abba Hassan said most victims are children, women, and elderly people who could not run fast enough when insurgents drove into Baga, firing rocket propelled grenades and assault rifles on town residents. So you see from this 2015 story that um, 
this is completely independent of uh, the Netanyahu government, uh, completely yeah. independent of what's going on in Gaza or Palestine and, and so forth. This is another example of Islamic terrorists committing massacres again mm -hmm. against women and children and elderly mm -hmm. people to establish their caliphate. And I will show one last story um, along the same lines, but much more recent. So I just want to show this to underscore the fact that it's not a Arab versus Jew thing. It's, you see here, this is from um, earlier this year and from June of 2023. Hundreds of Nigerian Christians killed in Reese's attack. And the killers, of course, are um, Islamic yeah. fundamentalists. 450 mm -hmm. people died. 450 Christians died in a serious attack in Christian villages in North Central Nigerian state since May. So, you know, so it's not just a, the creation of a Jewish state that's provoking this sort of violence. It's the creation of people who are not uh, adhering to the Quran the way these terrorist groups believe they should be. So, so those those sort of points I want to make is there's so much propaganda coming from the press these days, pro Hamas propaganda, which is very surprising. Um, the, the violence we seen, the violence we saw on October seven, is not related to Israel being cruel to the people of Gaza. I pointed out that the last peace agreement, which was 2008, would have given uh, a fortune to the people of Palestine, enough to have Palestine be a, a thriving independent nation at this point. And I also pointed out that um, it's not a Jewish versus Muslim conflict per se. It's a conflict between Muslim and the rest of the world, even poor Christian villages in Nigeria. and. And I'll throw it over to you, but I'll get your comment on that. Well, just like the rest of the world, people with sensibilities to see babies being beheaded and women brutalized in the way that they have been. I mean, people in cages is just horrific. And it's a humanitarian issue of the highest order, as you alluded to. And the fact that, that, you know, that we're seeing this and that there are actually people who can sympathize and say that they have a right. As you know, DK, I hail from California, even though I don't live there anymore and I don't, you know, miss it at all. Um, Stanford University was just a, stro a stone's throw from um, where we lived. And yesterday I saw... Recently in the news, I saw that there was a professor that asked his students if they were Jewish to raise their hands and go sit in the corner. Yeah. Fortunately, he was fired. It seemed like it was pretty immediate that, that he was fired. Um, and I, don't, I haven't seen any protests about it. Um, but that to me is, is amazing that anyone in this day and age with the internet as, you know, um, 
prevalent as it is that can see these horrific images. I mean, when you and I were kids, I mean, it was one thing they didn't show those images on television. And I mean, it wasn't, you couldn't just, you know, somebody with a camera could just, you know, a selfie video or whatever. Um, these images are coming constantly, quickly out of this region. And we are seeing this brutality. So anyone that could justify that, even if I were someone um, of origin in that, I mean, my origin, my family's ethnicity or origin was from that part of the world. I can still say, hey, this is brutal. This is not right. This is a humanitarian crisis. Um, and it astounds me that there is anyone in the world watching this happen that does not immediately say this is wrong. I don't get it. I heard one commentator compare the the policy uh, the Hamas terrorists to uh, the rebellion led, led by Nate Turner, who led a violent revolt uh, against slave owners in, in, in this country. It's nothing like what Nate Turner did. No, you know, no. The people who fought with Nate Turner did not go house to house decapitating babies. He, no. That's a, that's a level of brutality that's not intended to further your cause. That's a level of brutality that's intended to create evil. And and that's and that's what it is, you know. Islamic terrorism, and this is something Alice, Alan West has been saying forever. And I learned a lot of this from him. But you know, Islamism is a threat to all of us. We have to stand against it. If whether the attacks are occurring in Nigeria, whether they, whether they're occurring in Tel Aviv, whether they're uh, occurring in Afghanistan from the Taliban, and so forth. It's a threat to all of us, and we have to stand with Israel in this case. We have to stand with Nigeria. We have to stand with the free people of Afghanistan. We have to stand with the people here in the United States who are increasingly being threatened by Islamism because of our open border. You know, there, there yes. are thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people yes. from that part of the world, and we don't know how many of them are sympathetic to that Islamist philosophy. You know, we know from 9-11, it only takes a handful to kill 3,000 yeah. people. So, Absolutely right. um, so this is a war for all of us that we all should be involved in in some way, even if it just means being vigilant against it. Um, and, and, and it's a sickness to not recognize this as, as what it is, you know. That's absolutely right. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of African-American Conservatives. But I want to ask those in our audience who are praying people to pray for peace in this world and to pray that these hardened hearts will be softened because I would not want to face God with that on my hands to know that, uh, you know, these hands that have killed these innocent, innocent babies. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. So we need to be vigilant, as you said, and we also need to pray for our world. So that's it from Studio C. This is Marie signing off for African-American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Be sure to check us out at acons.substack.com. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of African-American Conservatives the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online 
at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. And also, you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.